2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
0: Just wondered how how you celebrated and, and how, how different it was for you, Tom, to, to spend the night in your own bed with your family.
1: I actually spent the night in my daughter's bed because I had five of my nephews and nieces in my bed. So, (laughs) that was pretty unique. It was probably about two hours of sleep. So, I'm going to be trying to get some extra sleep today.
2: Wow. Even the goat every once in a while has to give up his bed for company. Company's coming. You know, I always had to give up my bed for company. Did right. you have
3: to give up your bed for company when you were a kid? Uh, I I can't say that I did. You know, for, let's see, most of my growing up, I mean, I had a single bed until I got about, you know, I don't know, maybe around eighth grade, uh, freshman in high school where my mom got me a queen size bed. But no, I did not have to give it up for other minute. people. Wait a
2: minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. I'm picturing laissez-faire youth Yes. Sims right. at age 12 or 13 gangly. Yeah. Dorky fitting in a twin bed. Yes. Like I think your torso would fit in the bed and every limb would be hanging off of the bed. <laughs> it was
3: a little awkward. I think it, it was literally to the point where I, my mom, I think walked back there and was like, you don't look right. We need to get you a bigger bed. And that's really kind of where it changed. But I don't remember giving up my bed as a young kid. I certainly at that age, at my age right now, or if I was 43 and won the Super Bowl. There's no way. I would have woke those damn kids up and said, hey, we got other beds. Sorry, this one's mine. Uh, I'm the Super Bowl MVP. Screw off. Go find somewhere else to sleep.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and look, now I periodically get kicked out of my bed for a dog. The dog takes over the bed. Wow. And uh, does not let me on it. The dog refuses to let me on it. And if I try to lay down on it, the dog stands over me until I leave so as a result the dog period very rarely very rarely although more more <laughs> frequently than i would like makes it into the bed uh so anyway yes i, I was it. kicked i, was, I was kicked out of, of the bed
3: many times as a child and now as an adult way to um, go macy so, show them who's I, boss macy that's right what are you what are you third in the totem pole in your own house now fourth, or are you fourth okay just wanted to make fourth. sure clarify fifth. last
2: last I, I could i could be behind one of the cars yeah, yeah there's a right. chance that i'm behind one of the cars i'm so, sure you anyway. are Uh, Let's get into it. It's just two days after Super Bowl 55. And that continues to be the focal point of so much discussion as it relates to the National Football League. There are other topics that we will get to. But one very important aspect of understanding what happened in Super Bowl 55 is taking a closer look at. The film, as Chris mentioned yesterday, I think you'd said you'd already downloaded the film. Some I did. Had yeah. Access to things that others don't. a <laughs> Fair as a youth. Laze <laughs> Fair as an adult. Uh, <laughs> l- l- let's get into it though, because yeah. one of the one of the big stories coming out of the game, once you get past the twenty minutes of Tom Brady adulation, or thirty, is the idea that the Buccaneers defense really won the game. Anybody who was paying close attention to the game and focusing on what happened saw. A Chiefs offense that performed like it never had before, because it was being suffocated by the Tampa Bay defense, was the pressure that was brought to bear by the Bucks defense as potent to you upon looking at the film as it seemed to be while we were watching the game.
3: Well, I mean, it, it was potent. There's no doubt. Now, I'll say this, Mike: the pressure, I think, you know, grew as the game went on. Once Tampa got the Chiefs in a okay, you know, you we know you almost got to throw it every down, you know, we are in that type of mode. They wore that offensive line down, but I will say this to your question early on, you know, watching back the film, it wasn't as bad as at least I felt like on watching on TV on Sunday night. I don't know, on Sunday night, you know, I just felt like man, it seems unsettled early on and those type of things, but when you go back and watch the film. Hey, it wasn't horrible. They could have managed. They could have done some things, certainly. That wasn't the biggest problem to me to why they couldn't get the the offense jump-started at least early on. To me, Mike, and again, we'll go back to the D-line and what they did. It was special, and they just, like I said, dominated more and more as the game went on. But early on, it was manageable, and really I found the biggest issue to be the Chiefs' approach to how they were playing the football game early on that I found more surprising than anything, Michael. In what way? Well, the we talked all last week, right? About man, if I'm Tampa, you know we can't be Todd Bowles, the normal Todd Bowles, right? We kept saying this. You got to drop back. You got to play coverage. We broke it down on Friday. Rush four. Just do that. Well, that's what they did. But Kansas City, from the plays you watch early in the game, a lot of those plays that are called. Hey, listen, in my two years of learning, those are plays that were called for, oh, the, the defense we got in week 12 when we played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That we weren't expecting them to play us like this. And they called a lot of plays that were long developing down the field throws early on in the game. And it's like just banging your head on the wall because they were rushing four and there was three and four people deep almost every play and there was nothing there to be had. So they wasted a lot of plays thinking they were going to get the old defense and didn't, Mike.
2: And that really is amazing when you think of the praise that routinely is heaped upon Andy Reid and his offensive coaching staff, his game planning, the give him two weeks to prepare routine. They just picked up the Week 12 file and blew whatever dust had accumulated on it, off of it, and opened it up again and... And re-implemented it. That's, it, it. Yeah, seems to be what you're saying, at least early in the
3: game. Yeah, it, it really was, and really never a major adjustment. You know, again, I'm I'm not sitting here trying to pat you and me on the back, but I I I think a lot of people in the football world were like, wait, Chuck. You know, we know Todd Bowles likes to blitz, but I got to think he's going to play coverage this time around. He blitzed a little last time and played aggressive and got burnt. It's got to be different. And I don't know. It just seems like Andy Reid and company thought, no, Todd Bowles, this is what he does. He won't change. Well, he changed. It was the biggest game of his life, and he threw a curveball, and it was unbelievable. And I think that's where I'm just amazed that we didn't see more of a, a, you know, surgical bunch of concepts that get 5 and 6 and 7 yard throws and those type of things Mike that's really what I was expecting to see we're going to dink and dunk the hell out of them right and 5 and 6 and 8 yards and then finally get them to come up and start playing man to man and maybe have to blitz because you're getting torn apart and now you take your shots down the field but you see the the buccaneers defensive alignment heat map Mike here on our next gen stats it's a frog it's a frog. Uh, It's a Rorschach test. It's a frog. But I will say, it says something here other than it's a frog. You know, the secondary is what jumps out to me. Man, they had these safeties and people moving around all day long, gave a lot of different looks. You could see the corners are not at the line of scrimmage, right? So there wasn't a lot of bump, man-to-man looks to throw 80-yard bombs at Tyreek Hill. It was zone coverages, a mixture of that, and really – Todd Bowles took a, a, playbook, a page out of Spag's playbook with unbelievable disguising. You know, hey, we're down here, we're doing this, and then, oh, nope, it's not that. And, and those were some of the things that jumped out to me, at least, you know, in our, in our first part of our conversation here. In,
2: in many respects, Todd Bowles took a page out of the defensive playbook that was such an integral part of the last Buccaneers championship team. Right? The Tampa yeah, two. Sure. Two safeties deep. Yeah. The the corners in zone off the line of scrimmage. Trust the four defensive linemen to create enough pressure to periodically get home and or force throws before the throws are ready to be made. And then you got linebackers that can cover all exactly. the full range of the field. And uh, that's, what, that's what worked. Shereen Williams made a point last night on PFTPM that you and I had not discussed. And I think it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. The benefit ultimately to the Buccaneers of having played the Chiefs in Week Twelve and having lost to the Chiefs in Week Twelve, because if they don't play that game, if they don't lose that game, if Todd Bowles isn't stirred to go against his nature, he would have walked right into the buzzsaw, most likely. In Super Bowl Fifty
3: Five, no doubt. No, there, there's no doubt. You know, uh, you know, and I think we hit on it a little bit where we talked about, hey, I. I I always think the team that lost the regular season matchup has the advantage going into the Super Bowl. One, because, hey, we lost, and okay, we know what they're like this time around. But two, you go back, and now it's time to game plan. You go, wait, when you're the team that lost, you go, we got to change something. We got to do a little something different here. It didn't work the first time. So we got to have some sort of a different approach, let alone when you're the team that lost, you the, 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 the fear factor is real. It's the motivating real too, to where you get up and like, I got to get going. I'm not sure we can beat this team this week. We got to get going and get to work. Here we go. And then the team that won in the regular season, of course, is the opposite. Well, I mean, this worked, this worked. We don't need to change this. Well, this worked too. We don't have to change that. And those guys getting out of bed are going, well, hey, I got to get to work, but we'll beat this team. We should beat them again. We're better than them. And that—that that to me is a, a big part of the psychosis of the, these repeat matchups you see in the Super Bowl.
2: Not psychosis.
3: I thought. Psy- I thought oh we yeah, I we, we hit this. You're right. What is it again? What is it? I need psychology's dis- fine. Psychology. Psychology. Right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. I don't know if I can I'll- break myself of that
2: one. Sorry here's patrick mahomes from monday after he had an opportunity to sleep or not sleep i don't know if he got to sleep in his bed or not remember the chiefs traveled home after the game here he is the day after talking about what went wrong in super bowl 55.
3: i thought the guys did a good job i mean we just we just didn't execute at a high high enough level i wasn't on the same page with the receivers on some plays there were some plays where i got the line going in the wrong direction um and then and then at the end of the day, we just didn't we didn't execute. And I think that's the biggest thing. And um, a lot of times it gets it gets it gets put on that line um, because I'm scrambling around. But if we're not executing as far as me making the right reads and getting the ball out of my hand to the receivers on time, um, then, then nothing's going to work. Um, so uh, uh, they get they get that blame uh, sometimes, but it's not deserved because I mean, a lot of it's on me and people just don't see it that way.
2: Yeah, that's a slightly different. character. trying to change it a little. What we saw yeah. on Sunday yeah. night. Sunday night, he was a little too blunt about the problems in protection. He was a little too blunt about the issues with the receivers sometimes not running the right route. He took full blame, or at least a lot more of the blame. Yeah. On on Monday, once he had a chance to really look at it, and I, I look, I I don't know, I it's easy to stand up there and take the blame. We saw the film. The guy did everything he possibly could. To, yes. to win the game. Right. It it harkens back to what Giselle said after the Patriots lost Super Bowl 46 to your New York Giants. My husband can't throw the ball and catch it. <laughs> How many times did we see the spectacular throws from Mahomes that that a chief got a hand on yeah.
3: but weren't able to catch? No, I know. He made some unreal plays in some unbelievable circumstances. You know, plays where I just go, "Man, it's I mean, it's a rare few people in the history of the sport that could even keep some of these alive, let alone he's not at 100%. You know, Mike, it's it's a thing that, again, you know, TV can lie sometimes. When I turned on the film, too, the one of the first things I saw about his running was the, the, the limp or the gimp or whatever you want to say was more apparent, especially on those end zone cuts when you're watching film. Mike, you could see that there was a little bit of a, a laboring with the one leg, and it was instead of running just like this, it was kind of a huh. Huh, like I mean, you really could notice it on there, so that was an issue. But I think the when biggest, did you first see it? When I, did you first notice that it? that first scramble where he? Well, I'll tell you where I first noticed it. Uh, I think it was the second play of the game. It might have been the first play. I think it was the second play of the game. He kind of fakes the run, and Shaq Barrett comes off the edge, and he can barely avoid him, and he just throws it away. Right? I that one of those plays right there. I went, well, he didn't look like he could cut off his leg there. But then when he scrambled for the first down to the left. That's where, you know, of course, I'm watching closely, too. You could see that it's, it's a one-leg gallop. He doesn't want to push off. And then as the game goes on, Mike, you know, he makes a number of throws where he throws it, and he doesn't want to let his left foot hit the ground. He's holding it or getting it out of the way of people. So he was obviously hurt, very conscious of that. You know, I'm mad yesterday we didn't bring up. I mean, they brought Matt Moore up to be the third quarterback on Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl. I mean, that that tells you something a little too there. Um, He obviously wasn't quite right, but I think the the main point is kind of what he said about not being on the same page. Because that was Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles, he confused the hell out of them. He never really gave them back-to-back the same coverages. He changed a lot of things up. And if you have those type of plays, Mike, where the receiver has to read the coverage and be on the same page as the quarterback... He gave some looks where, hey, if it's single safety, you run this route. If there's two safeties back, you run this route. And he gave some looks where I bet you the receivers came off the line of scrimmage to like what Mahomes is talking about. And he's probably like, I'm not sure what this classifies at. The safeties are kind of in this weird spot. I don't know if you would say this is two deep or one deep or three deep. And that can mess with rules, too. And that was just part of you know the issues the Kansas City Chiefs had on the offensive side of the ball.
2: Back to the Matt Moore angle, I got a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, when you look at the second week of the injury report generated by the Chiefs prior to Super Bowl 55, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all three days, Patrick Mahomes fully participated in practice but was designated with the toe injury, which implies he was still getting some sort of treatment on the toe. He didn't miss a rep. He did his usual practice work. He just... He had the toe disclosed because they were still doing something to the toe. Now, remember the unique travel arrangement for Super Bowl 55. They didn't go to Tampa Bay a week before the game. They flew late Saturday afternoon. Once you take that thing in a pressurized fuselage up in the sky and back down, it could swell up. It could be a problem. And I say all that because they brought Matt Moore from the practice squad to the active roster and there are rules this year. And those rules would have been in place even without the pandemic where you can bring a couple of guys from your practice squad to make it a 55 man roster going into game day. But Chris, they did not activate more to the 46 man roster on game day. So they, he was available. Right. Right. Let's see what happens with the flight. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah. It, I, I think to, to fully deduce the message here. Yeah. Something was up with the toe. It was right. still getting treatment. We got to fly to Tampa Bay on Saturday. Who the hell knows what that toe is going to be like? They hadn't had to travel anywhere since the toe injury happened. They've right. been at home. Right. Let's see what the toe looks like. Let's see how it feels. And we got Matt Moore ready in the event that, that we got concerns going into the game that maybe we need a backup to the backup if something happens with Mahomes. And then once they they decided on Sunday, he's – He's good enough, and, uh, you know, uh, obviously he was. They never had to put Chad Henney in the game. But I think that that your point that you raised yesterday after the show, and and it's a good one, they were at least as of Saturday. Right. They were at least thinking – Man, th- th- this thing still isn't completely right. Right. And right. early in the game, it became obvious that it wasn't, and he had to fight through the thing the whole game.
3: It's it's unreal that he fought through the game and moved around the way he did. I mean, it really did. Because, if, like I said, if you just look at some of the other plays, you can go, wow, there, there's definitely an issue here. He's trying to protect it, he doesn't want to put it on the ground and get it stepped on or do anything like that. Either way, it was the Tampa defense that was the biggest pain in his toe, right throughout the day. It just the the de- the defensive game plan, the front four. Once they got comfortable, you know, you get into the third quarter, Mike. I mean, some of the plays, I'm going. Wait, is Kansas City trying to set up a screen here? Wait, no, they're not. You know, because sometimes the O line lets the defensive line go, and you go, well, they must be setting up a screen. And you're going, no, they're not. They're they were actually trying to block them. I mean, that was horrible. And that, to me, again, goes into the shock of the lack of the short passing attack in the football game. To me, that's where I'm just still amazed by it. You know, with with, with, with this front four, you got a quarterback that's not healthy, and you want to protect your offensive line, I would think this would be the game of all games to go, you know, maybe we should put in another 10, 15, 20 short pass plays this week for this game. Maybe have a little bit more of a variety. It's the Super Bowl. Our quarterback can't move as well. You know, they might play a lot of past defense. Instead, it went the opposite where you went, you're asking your O line to protect for a long time to throw the ball down the field into deep coverage. That is where I just can't I'm I'm shocked with the, the Chiefs' approach.
2: Ninety two percent of the time the Chiefs under Coach Andy Reid went with five man protection for Quarterback Patrick Mahomes. That means maximum guys out in the pattern. Yeah. Minimum guys trying to keep Patrick Mahomes from getting chased around by the Buccaneers defense. How surprised were you that there wasn't an adjustment made there to keep more guys in to try to try to buy Mahomes a yeah. little more time, so he didn't have to run for 497 yards before throwing the ball or getting
3: sacked. I mean, I would have been in favor of anything, or at least just a little bit of that at least, to maybe just give everybody a peace of mind, Mahomes a peace of mind, to where now, hey, I could sit here and really focus on downfield and let my guys work. But where it gets scary for offensive coaches like that, Mike, and a lot of times when it's just like at the front four rushing, they're going, wait, first off, we have five, they have four. We should be able to block them. And then the other issue is when you're doing that, right, and you're still not getting open downfield, you're going, wait, am I going to take one guy off our ability to get open downfield and now have him block? And now we have one less guy and it's only, you know, three versus seven downfield or four versus seven downfield and those issues too. So that's the dilemma you get into in that situation when a defense can just apply pressure with the front four. And, you know, so I, yes, you could have brought in some of those max protect things, but I still think he would have had a hard time finding people open downfield. Ultimately might've bought him a little bit more time.
2: Here's something that they could have done. Yeah. And this becomes a dilemma when you have one of the all time great downfield tight end threats. You keep the tight end in to block initially, and then you let him let him kind of bleed, bleed out. out just sure. Him, just let him be there in one of those open zones quick pass and let him rumble with it. The problem is then you got to worry about Levante David and Devin white swarming. But uh, that that would have been a safety valve at least. But when you're so reliant on Travis Kelsey being part of what draws two guys down the field, you can't do that. You have to do it with another tight end. Uh, and you don't see a whole lot of two tight end sets from the Kansas city chiefs, uh, not with know. all those weapons yeah. they have they can right. get down the field. You know, you don't want to you, you but that would have been something they could have done. You get a little extra, take a little steam out of the edge, a little help for Mike Remmers or Andrew Wiley, a little help, a little chip, a little push, a little shove, and then just kind of pirouette out into the, and you're just there. In case Mahomes, while he's running around, he sees one guy standing there saying, hey, hi, how are you? Here I am. That would have been something instead of forcing it down the field. There wasn't
3: enough of that type of stuff all day long. There's just not enough of that and options for him to go down and check it down and get those type of throws. You know, early on, like I hear him in the comments talk about, you know, I was off page or off the, you know, not on the same page with the wide receivers early on in the game. Hey, maybe there was a few plays where I got to go. Oh, he's being a little too over aggressive here. Maybe he could check the ball down and get an easier completion, but it wasn't so egregious where i was like oh how stupid is he to throw that ball there that was ridiculous that's crazy no it wasn't and they were giving him tough looks so certainly but you know more times than not just in my experience with Josh McDaniels and and John Gruden and everybody like that you know you see here some of the stats and what they got the throwing the you know 15 plus yards not very good third down not very good Well, they were never in good positions in third down for the most part. It was always third and long. But when you have this type of defense attack, Mike, you know, you got to find ways within the zone to stress the zone and like go NBA style. Hey, there's two guys here. We got to make it three on two and spread them out and find ways, right? Oh, hey, there's one guy that's in control of this area of the zone. Hey, we got to two on one him, right? And you got to find a lot of little ways just to create space and find little holes there that way. And Kansas City, to me, had grown that part of their offense to where I didn't think it would be an issue in the Super Bowl. I just thought what I've seen the rest, the whole second half of the year and everything like that, they'll have plenty of plays and plenty of ways to attack it. But like I said, it's like they went into the game not expecting that, and they did not have those type of plays dialed up in this game plan. After a 34-yard field goal
2: by Harrison, Butker cut the score to 14-6. With under a minute remaining by the time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got the ball, started their their effort first and ten on their own 29 with 55 seconds left in the half. Leonard Fournette, no gain. Chiefs call a timeout. Okay, fine. Fine. Okay. Fine. Next play, eight-yard pass to Chris Godwin making it third and two. Chiefs call another timeout. So it's third and two. And, uh, the 44 seconds left in, in the half.
3: Well, let's. I, let's l- 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 yeah, go l- ahead. I was going to say, let's stop like right there, right off the bat. First off, just like when it was 14 to six, did, how did you feel at that moment? Like you're sitting there watching. I, I know just for me personally, I was like, it's 14 to six. And, and I'm I could cross my heart swear to die my wife or any i, I was just going let's go in at halftime let's just I thought that's going to halftime the Chiefs get
2: the ball first they get a chance to drive down the field and if they decide to go for two maybe tie it right, up. That's right right I
3: wanted time. to be like hey you're down by eight it's kind of a miracle you've been outplayed it's it's you're, it's a miracle you're only down by eight let's go in and just chalk it up so I was surprised and it sounds like you were too
2: yeah well after the first down play I, I got no problem with yeah, it because okay. in the event that you can stifle them. You never know when that offense is going to wake I up. I know. That's so the problem why they blow, got. So why yeah. blow an opportunity right. if you can if you can get them off the field with 45 seconds left? Right? You use your three timeouts. You get off the field. They pump with 45 seconds left. Maybe the Buccaneers punter shanks it, craps down his leg like Tommy Townsend did a couple of times. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe he, who knows? You get short field position and you got Patrick you've got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, but on the after the second and 8 play or second and second, second and, and 10, 10 play when they gain 8, excuse right. me, right. making it third and 2. That's when I'm thinking, all right, fine. I'm I'm willing to concede or at a minimum let the clock run and maybe they screw up and and then, you know, they don't convert and then they'll punt and yeah, we'll only have 20 seconds left, but you know, let them, let the yeah. clock run and just, and let them, and, you know, and, and let them maybe just concede, ah, you know, screw it. We'll just go in at halftime, but you get, you give them the extra time. You give them a chance to think about it. You convert the third and two, and then it's first and 10 from the 42. And, uh, that's when you get the pass interference that, it changes everything. Yeah, it changes everything.
3: Well, okay, like, you know, and, and we'll break down. Let's break down the rest of these plays here. But, too, like, I just, like, let's have a little more conversation about the timeout thing. Because, I mean, I'm with you. We just we just talked about how, yeah, I mean, it, it just felt like Tampa outplayed it. Let's go in at 14-6. to six. I I'll totally understand what you're saying after the eight-yard completion on second down because now it's, hey, it's third and two. It's Tom Brady and things like that. But I'll also say – It's not totally crazy by Andy Reid to call the timeout there. It's not. To To what you said, you know, listen, he's done this a lot, and he's got Patrick Mahomes, and they go down and score, and he goes, and then it changes the game. So that's what has gotten them there, too. That's where, like. You know, we are. We're talking it. We're dissecting it. But I'm not going to go home later today and just go, I can't believe he did that. What a dumb idiot Andy Reid is. That was the stupidest crap I ever saw. I can understand the logic there when you're saying, like you said, they got Patrick Mahomes. It's, It's the most explosive quarterback we've seen in football for quite some time here. So I do... I can wrap my head around his thought, at least. Can you? I mean, obviously, I think you can, too.
2: I, I, no, yeah. I understand yeah. why he did it, yeah. but the question is, should he have yeah, done it? Right. That's the question. Yeah. And when you have Mahomes, when you have Tyreek Hill, when you have those guys who can stretch the field, you're more likely to roll the dice there. There were 44 seconds after that second and 10 play that gained eight yards and made it third and two. 44 right. seconds. If they don't call the timeout there, then – what, what, what do the Bucs do? They only got one timeout. I know. Do they, do they call a timeout with third and two? I don't think they call the timeout. I think that's when you start to – but who knows? You're dealing with Bruce Arians. That, that's the thing. As the Bucks got that ball, if you go back to that moment, 55 seconds left, and I think Joe Buck – not Joe Buck.
3: Jim, Jim Nance. Nance right.
2: Jim Nance. Sorry, wrong network. I got to get that in once a day. Anyway – they, they mentioned what happened at the end of the NFC championship. That's what I'm thinking of Joe Buck. Yeah. They mentioned what happened with Scotty Miller. And, and it could be that that resonated into this game that, that Andy Reed starts thinking, how do we, Oh God, what do we do? Oh God, we don't want Oh, and you know, Hey, maybe Bruce Arians would have called timeout number three in that spot at third and two. If Andy Reed hadn't, Who who knows, but regardless, they get the first down. 20 seconds go off the clock until the next play. It's only 24 seconds when he throws that deep ball yeah. to Mike Evans. 24 seconds. The feet get tangled up. You could argue it was uncatchable, but the thing is, if Mike Evans doesn't get tripped by Bashad Breeland, maybe he's got a chance to catch it. When you when you watch that back, did you think it justified
3: I, I I have a feeling I, mean, I know what you're gonna say. Did you think it justified the flag? Absolutely not. I mean, if it, 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 incidental contact is a thing in football, this was the poster child of it. You know, again, I just it's they they tripped. Mike Evans' foot goes Evans. back and hits Breland's feet as he's running, and then he loses control and falls down. I, I mean, to me, it's just not a. I wouldn't no. have called it.
2: What? He did not lose control and fall down. There was an element of strategic diverry. absolutely not in that absolutely not. I think there was I think there was a little just a little bit just a little bit he got shoved. regardless, regardless. I'm, so sure I'm yes set- now he's trying to no.
3: regain and maybe exactly he,
1: you know no. hey, okay
2: hey, hey if you're going down may as make it look like he got shoved I'm not saying there's a problem with it I mean we've seen guys take dives all the time we see quarterbacks take a dive when someone breathes on them after a play I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it it's part of the gamesmanship my point is, I think he sold it a little bit. And Maybe. it worked. Yeah. In came the flag. There comes that little yellow hanky flying in, and that's that. And it's a spot foul. And all of a sudden it goes from first and ten on the Tampa forty two to first and ten on the Kansas City twenty four. Yeah, there's don't, still don't only love 18 that call seconds there. left. Don't though. love that call. There's, yes, right. There's still I'm thinking 17 6. Right. First and ten, eighteen seconds on the Kansas City 24. I'm thinking, okay it's going to be Ryan suck up and if he makes it 17 6 and a half and right. and crisis full blown crisis averted and and that's when uh you know you get the little quick pass to Leonard Fournette, and off he goes for 15 yards down to the to the nine Kansas City takes the time out there with 13 seconds a little short pass uh that's the one that resulted in the pass interference in the end zone and then you and then there it is you got the opportunity to score the touchdown Different than how you scored the touchdown in the NFC Championship at the end of the half. Same result. 14-6 becomes 21-6. Just like 14, what was it in the NFC Championship? Was it 14-10 that became 21-10? Yeah, exactly. Same deal. Same deal. Right. Right? And and it just creates a different vibe. And. All together going into halftime. And a long halftime for the Chiefs to think about. A long
3: halftime. No doubt about it. Okay, and the second P.I. So he throws the check down to Fournette, gets them down there, right? They get 15 yards on the little check down to Fournette. And then comes the second P.I., which I would say the pass interference, the the interception pass interference was the worst call because I would honestly go, I think Mike Evans was offensive pass interference. I wouldn't even have called it on the defense. He tried to throw Brashad Beal and the ball got tipped in the air and it was interception. Now this one in the end zone, this was the second worst one. You just don't call this in this moment. It, there's just not enough there. Tyron Matthews allowed to be on the field in a spot. Just because Mike Evans wanted to run to that area doesn't mean he gets the right to just run him over. That to me was egregiously bad. Let alone it hit the wall in the back and was not catchable. So I know they like you said, they're very, you know, they're they're not real tight with that uncatchable part of it. But I do have an issue with that P.I., and that's where, again, uh, like we talked about, it, it's P.I. all regular season. It's just not P.I. in the playoffs, and that's my issue with it, and that that's all I'm saying there. I know the Bucks were the better football team, but I will still stand here and stand by the fact that we were cheated out of a better football game because the refs became the biggest show in town for the last three minutes of the first half in the Super Bowl, And that cheated us out of a more competitive football game right there.
2: Well, it, it made it 21, six, instead of 14, six going into the half. Might have not even been 14
3: balls. to six. If they don't call the PI interception, we don't know where the game's going to go. That's well, that's, that's, early, that was a drive earlier. Yeah. Dri- right. Yeah. Right. That was, yeah. right. Um, or draw or two i don't know but it it wasn't that drive right
2: The, the 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 pass interference in the end zone yeah you know i and and this gets into an argument that peter king has made about levels of pass interference the one thing that bothers me about the nfl's rules for defending against uh pass plays yeah before the ball's in the air it's that five yard illegal contact, defensive right. holding, whatever it is. Once the ball's in the air, all that stuff becomes pass interference. I just feel like at a certain level, there's a less egregious version. Not that it matters when you're down near the goal line. Yeah, I'm but I know what more you like mean. Like the longer yeah. throw, there's a lo- a lesser degree of pass interference. Like like on the Evans play, like you get inc- kind of incidental tangled up. Yeah. It's not a grab. It's not a. It's not the the oh crap he's running past me for a touchdown I'm going to tackle him maneuver now it it interjects more judgment into the call which I don't like but if there was a lower level of pass interference just like there used to be a lower level of face mask if there was a lower level yeah then that wouldn't have been first and 10 on the 24 it would have been yeah, first and you'd 10 give him at 10 the, at yards the 50. or something yeah right. you would have given him five yards 10 yards right. whatever right I, and, and that play in the end zone is what made me think of that. Because that feels like it should be, you know it's it's something that would have been a five yard penalty if it happened at most, a five yard penalty before the throw. The throw happens. It's not real egregious and the ball is it's questionable. It's look, I don't want to make it harder for the officials to apply the rules. Yeah. and and right. I think once we start doing that, we get down that path. But hey, that's what happened. and as as a practical matter, even though I thought with the Chiefs, you never know when they're going to find the gas pedal. You never know when they're going to rattle off 30 points. I mean, they're on 24 nothing to the Texans in the first half of the division-around game a year ago. And they never looked back. What was it, 52-24? Yeah. You know they're capable at any time of doing it. I think that's what made it so stunning yesterday. And that's where the suspense came from. Even though the final score was 31-9, there was always this sense of um eh, here it comes where is yeah. it, here's it go? every once in a while you see that technique like in a movie where they make you think it's coming and it never does but while you're waiting like that draws out and you feel the unease like that's kind of what i had most yeah. of the second half and I, not up until the last interception by devin white and that's when patrick mahomes finally realized it was over but but still there it was deep into the fourth quarter that i'm thinking these guys mm, yeah you weren't counting them out chance.
3: yeah all you yeah. had to do was look at tom brady on the sideline i mean it was like there was like 2 minutes left and they were up by you know 22 points and he was still stressing out over there so uh, i agreed i mean i i was never like you know i was like it's not looking good they're not going to win but uh, who knows with this group you, you just kept saying who knows with this group we'll see what goes on but you know ultimately they were bullied they were just a little undermanned on the offensive line that really hurt them and then mahomes's inability to really run at full capacity and that's the other thing too mike you know i'll say it again his inability to really push off and explode and run it 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 caused him not to be able to turn the corner a few times when he wanted to, to scramble and it really stopped them from exploding up in the pocket a lot that was where i noticed too He's amazing at getting deep, and then these rush lanes present themselves, and he runs up towards the line of scrimmage, right, and attacks the line of scrimmage, and now the defenders come up because they go, well, he might be running, and he throws a laser by you. And because he couldn't push off and explode the same way too, that took that element of the way, and that would have been big for a game that was – all too deep and coverage and those type of things. His legs needed to be at a hundred percent and of course he needed to be hitting on all cylinders for them to win and, and beat a team that was that was better than them. One last
2: point too. We discussed this On PFTPM, and it bears repeating because I don't think it sunk in for people the way that it should have. That Britt Reid car crash and the aftermath of it, yeah Britt Reid hospitalized, a five-year-old girl in critical condition, Britt Reid having surgery, all of that happening, puncturing that final bubble of preparation just a couple of days before they fly to Tampa for the Super Bowl. That had to be a factor. That had to be. It, It had to be a factor in the final preparation. It had to be a factor in the execution. The the you know, if you're feeling like you are in a fog, I don't care, I don't care how hard you look forward to that opportunity to get a distraction from from the thing that's turned your life upside down. Sometimes it doesn't distract you. Sometimes it's not enough.
3: This will be and one of those you would think maybe and, it doesn't and, distract you. Yeah,
2: and and I think I think as time passes, and we we hear more about the story and more comes out and de- and there are details and there are layers and there are levels and Dan Wetzel, who has a great column on this, there there are a lot of questions that haven't been answered yet that maybe some within the Chiefs organization already know the answer to, and maybe it what maybe it was a a, a bigger deal then than we realized, and maybe it it threw the chiefs into more disarray than they would ever suggest, Chris.
3: I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think it did get, you know, swept under the rug a little bit here going into the final Super Bowl weekend with everything that was going on for some reason. I don't know. It kind of flew under the radar to a degree. But when if that happens on a Thursday night, you know, it's a coach, first off. Now the players are coming into the facility Friday morning. Wait, coach isn't here. Who knows what Andy Reid's dealing with that Friday morning. Now they, maybe he can't be involved in their red zone attack because Friday is a red zone practice. You're doing stuff like that. Either way, all I'm just saying is it, it's almost impossible for that not to be a distraction. I mean, it, it and really... Here-
2: Look, this is a fair angle to mention. I haven't mentioned it yet, but this is a fair angle to mention, and this is the time to do it. We don't know whether and to what extent the NFL all of a sudden mobilized a full-blown investigation into whether or not Britt Reid was drinking in the team facility and whether and to what extent anyone knew about that. That's where this thing goes from from being a a, a a distraction to a major distraction. Yeah. If the NFL decides to mobilize right before the Super Bowl, like they did with Deflate Gate, not Deflate Gate. I keep saying Deflate Gate 2, Spygate 2 right before Super Bowl 42. You, you, you disrupt everything. But, and, and again, justifiably given the circumstances, and I think there were some tough questions that needed to be asked, but it just adds to a distraction that I think we didn't fully appreciate because we're caught up in the preparation for the Super Bowl. And it's hard to burst that bubble. And I think in Kansas City, what happened with Britt Reid and the tragedy there, uh, I, I think I think it had much more of an effect than than uh, than we understand. And maybe in the coming days, we'll we'll get more yeah. uh, evidence and information that will cause us to realize this really was a big deal. Let's take a break. When we return, what's up with Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles? We'll give you the latest right after this. Carson Wentz continues to be a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. Then again, he would be through March 17 at 4 p.m. Eastern anyway. But the trade speculation is running rampant. It has centered, Christopher, on the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears. Howard Eskin, who has been the radio sideline reporter for the Eagles for a very oh, long time. Yeah, he's the and man. a fixture in the Philadelphia media. He floated on Saturday night. Rumors all over. Here's what I'm told. Wentz and a draft pick to the Bears. For the number one draft pick, the Chicago Bears hold, not first overall, their first round pick, quarterback Nick Foles and running back Tariq Cohen, who's coming off of an ACL injury that should be ready in September. That was a stunner to me. I'm, look, I, Nick Foles has been acquired by the Eagles two different times know, already. This would be number three. He's been a Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles and Jalen Hurts. Instead of Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, I can kind of get behind that just from an intrigue standpoint. Although, well, I don't know why you fired Doug Peterson if you're going to bring back Nick Foles and get rid of Carson Wentz. It's just a weird vibe right now. Throw on top of it the NFL media report that the Eagles aren't happy with the offers they receive. Well, what are you going to do? Not trade him? I feel like it's, it's too late. I feel like the train's oh, out of the station. Definitely. You can't go back now.
3: Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, one, I think that tells you that there was more issues with the Doug Peterson thing than just the Carson Wentz and the quarterbacks, right? You know, the other thing with, with just this whole situation, you know, Wentz has got to get out of Philadelphia. We, we've talked about this. I, I, I still believe that. that there, it's a no-win situation. So he can't want to go back there. As soon as he plays one bad quarter, one bad drive, the whole fan base is going to say, you stink. We should have never got rid of Nick Foles. Let's put Jalen Hurts back in, blah, 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 blah. He's in a no-win situation. See you, Philadelphia, for Carson Wentz. He's got to make sure that's, that's real. Now, yeah, Colts and Bears. I mean, Colts make a lot of sense. We know that. Frank Reich being there, he fits their offense. Everything would be perfect, but... Yeah, a guy like Chris Ballard, he ain't giving up like the 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 you know kitchen sink for Carson Wentz. You know the, the uh, like with Carson Wentz, there's risk in trading for him, Mike. You know there's risk in one; it's a lot of money, as you've mentioned many a time, So that's going to hurt his value as far as what his trade is worth. But also, there's a negative connotation around Carson Wentz. If Carson Wentz goes to the Colts. And this is why I would go Bears, I don't really know why you want Carson Wentz because you're going to get right back in the Trubisky conversation here. But if you get Carson Wentz in one of these trades and it doesn't go well at first, everyone's going to go, what the hell? It didn't work that good in Philly. Did he really look that good and special in Philly? They didn't want him. We have guys that can't evaluate quarterbacks. What's going on here? So there is risk in that because that is where the public conversation is going to turn as soon as he plays bad. And for the Bears, it's already there. That's where I go, are you sure you want Carson Wentz Chicago? Because if he doesn't play good the first four or five weeks, all they're going to go is, see, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy can't evaluate quarterbacks. And that's where I think it's a little risky.
2: I don't know what Chicago wants. I don't know right? either. They, 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 I don't think they know what they want, <laughs> although they'd love to go back to 2017 and draft Patrick Mahomes instead of Mitchell Trubisky. But but I, I agree with you. For Wentz especially, he shouldn't want to go to Chicago because it's it's, it's, kind it's of Philly's like life. Philly. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're stepping into the same problems. Right. And, and there's more pressure on you to perform right out of the gates. In Indianapolis, I think he would have more leeway. He'd have more of a chance to grow and develop. Frank Reich has built up enough equity in three seasons on yep. the job that he could convince the fans to be patient mm-hmm. that this is a project. We're still in the post Andrew luck. What the hell are we doing mode? Yeah, right. This is a project. We've got the cap space work with us on this. So I think that there's merit to that. And I think the Colts make a lot more sense. If I'm Wentz, I strongly prefer the Colts over
3: the Chicago bears. And I, I was told he them. does. I was told by some people I trust that he prefers the Colts situation. Certainly. And but yeah, you're right. I mean, to the point where, you know, the Chicago one's so weird and odd, like you said. I mean, it really is. It's just like Philly. Oh, you're going to go there and run the same offense and what? They got some offensive line issues right now. The whole city's questioning the offense and how it works all together and if the people can evaluate the quarterback is the right is it the right guy and all that type of stuff. And yes, you're you're exactly right. He'll be in the same situation there with Chicago. I don't know why either one would want each other, really. And think about it. You go into
2: Chicago; they go all in with Carson Wentz. He walks into Hallis Hall as the guy on whom everyone's job is resting, because if it falls apart in 2021 in Chicago, you, you think you think they're going to have another press conference at the end of the season where George McCaskey says Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are coming back? I don't think so. Yeah. So they got they got one shot. They got to make it work. And I don't know that Carson Wentz is the guy to make it work with. And here's the other reality. And this is why I think it's funny how Philadelphia is trying to game this. But at least they're trying to. They got Jared Goff light. This is a situation far closer to Goff than Stafford. Yeah. Matthew Stafford was a guy that the Rams wanted. Jared Goff was a hot potato that the Rams wanted to unload. That's why the Lions got two ones and a three. They didn't get two ones and a three for Stafford. They got a one and a three for Stafford, and the Lions got a one to take on the Jared Goff contract. Mm-hmm. Wentz is far closer to that there is value to the Eagles, and they can try to they can try to play the the cards as close to the vest as they can. And Howie Roseman trying to play the, you know trying to get the the advantage and make it look like they got a lot for Carson Wentz. At a certain point, you got to say you know what you're getting for Carson Wentz. You're unloading forty million dollars off of your books. That's what you're getting for Carson Wentz. So take what you can get and move on yeah. and get him to the Colts. You don't want him to have his career rebirth with an NFC team. I mean, it, I think the Bears are the patsies in this. I don't think the Bears are seriously part of it. It could be Howard Eskin is carrying water for one of his employers. I hate to say that, but hey, they signed one of his checks. Let's Let's goose the market by making it look like the Bears are at the table just to get the Colts to give more. I think all of this is noise aimed at getting the Colts to up their offer so the Eagles can feel like, They've, they've not lost in this trade of Carson Wentz.
3: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I I don't get it that it's that sense, but you could be right. I'm not saying I know for sure here, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like Chicago has got to make some sort of play maybe for the quarterback situation. It seems like they want to. You know, I, but
2: not Carson Wentz. But I think that's very risky. He exactly shouldn't want right. to go there, and they shouldn't want it. And I think your it's point it's a recipe for disaster. I
3: agree. All, all together. The, the Colts one makes a lot of sense. It really does. And you, you, know, you laid it out there pretty perfectly. And, and I think that's why somebody like Chris Ballard and Frank Reich are, are just not going to sell off you know all Chris, their assets. Chris Ballard sees through it. He
2: sees no what doubt. the Eagles are trying to do. Right. The Eagles have no leverage. They've got the Colts. And the leverage can't be the Bears if you get – no, they ain't going to Chicago. And the leverage can't be, well, we'll just keep him. It's too late to keep him. It is too late. It's too late. So it's the unless somebody else looks at some game film from 2017 and says, we got to have Carson Wentz, they got to do the best deal they can with the Colts and move on, or they're going to have an even bigger problem as they try to get Nick Sirianni off on the right foot. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, just a few little leftover items from the awards and the Hall of Fame stuff that happened on Saturday night and we all forgot about when the Super Bowl started, which should tell the NFL maybe that night before the Super Bowl isn't the time to do it. More PFT Live right after this. JJ, Watt not happy that his brother TJ did not win the Defensive Player of the Year award with the caveat that this has nothing to do with Aaron Donald personally. He just—he's supporting his brother. And hey, look—it was twenty-seven to twenty, I think, with three other votes going. I can't remember who. I don't know if Xavier and Howard got the votes or what. But uh, Aaron Donald wins Defensive Player of the Year for the third time, right? Is he matched? Is he matched? JJ Watt is it third time for Aaron Donald as well? I, I was going to say it's it is. a
3: third or fourth. I'm not sure. I, It's—I think it's third. Okay. I think it's third. Either way, so, he's that caliber um, of a guy. He's a first ballot mm-hmm. Hall of Famer.
2: Eventually, on one of these Saturday nights, both JJ Watt and Aaron Donald will be going to the Hall of Fame. Probably not in the same year, but they're going to get there. Uh, Drew Pearson, congratulations. He finally Way gets to go into the Hall of Fame after a long wait. Um, Shereen Williams made the presentation, which I'm sure gave Drew Pearson a little bit of a boost, but he does get in despite pushing off on Nate Wright in the 1975. Pile. No, you didn't, Drew. Mike. Great
3: job. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. Yes, it was did. awesome yes, either way. All he the did. inductees was really he cool. Congrats off. to all of them. All right. And the way he the NFL it. honors the show did, it was really cool. It really was. You should tune in next year. we
2: got a four-hour show to come. <laughs> we'll be right back.
1: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw